Hello, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, founder of Pasha Mama, and welcome to our conversation, In Conversation, the podcast where I speak to women's health practitioners, baby and toddler experts, mamas and mums-to-be, to find out about what they do and how their story can support you through modern motherhood. Let's get started, shall we? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hi, guys. I hope you are well. And I hope that this new tiered system, in London at least, hasn't totally pissed you off like it has me um, or dampened your festive spirit. Um, I won't let the man get me down. I just won't. Um, but yeah, I am. I was pretty mad yesterday. I'm not going to lie. Uh, or on Monday, whenever it was that that uh, they made this ridiculous announcement. Um, I'm all for protecting the vulnerable. I'm all for keeping cases down, but and I'm and I am all for rules. I totally get that that they need to be set in place in order to affect change. But it, when the rules don't make no sense, um, that's when I get very frustrated. And I'm sure you are also feeling it. And if you're not you're very lucky. But that said, yeah, like I said, I hope it hasn't dampened your festive spirit. It has not mine. I will not let them do that. Um, I've We've got lots of festive fun things coming up at Pashamama. Um, this week, to tonight, we've got our eco wreath making workshop um, in partnership with Allbirds, which I'm really, really excited about. And on Monday night, next week, on the 21st at 8pm, if you are around and you have nothing better to do, I wouldn't change any existing plans. Um, we're hosting a very last minute uh, virtual Christmas quiz night party because I work solo. And uh, I a couple of weeks ago, I heard my husband having his work Christmas party in um, the other room and they were all guffawing and cheersing. And well, I want to do that with somebody and I want to do that with you guys. So if you are around please, please join us. Um, it's obviously completely free to attend. I would just need you to register. So head over to our um, website and look at our calendar of events or on Instagram and head to the link in our bio and the registration link is there to sign up. Right, enough from me. We are going to be talking about, or we are here to talk about today's podcast, which is all around OCD and motherhood. Um, and it's a subject that, um, I mean, we cover perinatal mental health a lot at Pashamama. We talk about it um, openly. We we have lives about it. We have panels about it. Um, and we've done a few podcasts on it. Um, but OCD in particular is something that is, I think, new to certainly me, um, uh, particularly when it comes to perinatal OCD. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful that um, Catherine Benfield, who I speak to in this episode, um, is able to speak so openly and wonderfully about it. Um, it's a really, really important conversation to have. Um, and as I said, I speak to Catherine, who is a mental health advocate, writer and campaigner. She's also the founder of Taming Olivia, which is her OCD blog, which talks about her journey with OCD. And in this conversation, we cover everything from what the illness looks like to how it can manifest, um, as well as what help is out there and what recovery looks like. Um, Catherine mentions a whole bunch of um, charities that um, offer support, all of which are um, 
link to in the show notes if you wanted to kind of read more or um find support it is out there and I'm so so grateful for one Catherine's time um for giving it to us to to share her story and the work that she's doing um on this podcast but also just the general wider work that she is doing beyond this um this will also be our last episode of 2020 we're going to be taking a couple of weeks off over the holidays and we'll be back with a brand new start in 2021 so with that enjoy as much as you can in whatever tier you're in your final days of 2020 and I will see you on the other side. Hi Catherine how are you good morning. I'm good thank you how are you? Yes I'm fine thank you. Um, I really appreciate you talking to me this morning. Um, We've not touched on OCD before we do a lot of talk around sort of mental health particularly perinatal mental health at Passion Mama but we've never touched on OCD so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me this morning. Oh it's an absolute pleasure and thank you for talking about it because I don't think enough people do it's nice to get the word out. Good yeah we love talking about things that are less spoken about so happy to happy to spread spread the word. So maybe just we can start with a little bit of um, introduction to yourself your background and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am born and bred East Londoner. I live in London with my husband and my eight-year-old son, William. Um, I'm a qualified primary school teacher, and I did that for a long time until I had my son, um, which is when I developed pretty awful perinatal OCD. And as I recovered through that time, I started working on advocacy. So I am the founder of TameAndOlivia.com, which is a blog that looks at creativity and compassion when going through recovery. Um, I do a lot of work with the charities. So there's three big ones in the UK. Uh, There's OCD UK, OCD Action and Maternal OCD. The last one's particularly close to my heart because they deal with a lot of things with new mums. Um, I do, yeah, so I do a lot of voluntary work with them and I do everything I possibly can. So radio interviews, television interviews, just anything to try and get word out. And there's a lot of campaigning going on at the moment now to try and get words about um, perinatal OCD in pregnancy books and things like that at the moment. So there's lots going on. That's what I do, really. Well, you do lots of lots of incredible things. And thank oh, you for thank you, thank you for, for all the work that you're doing. Um, so let's take a few steps back. You, you said quite a few things in there that I want to kind of get into. <laughs> Go um, for it. So you've got your blog, Taming Olivia, that yes. talks about your OCD journey, right? Yeah. Could you tell us why you started that and about that journey itself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, do you think it might help just explaining the nature of OCD if I do that very quickly? Because I think that goes quite a long way into why I started Tame and Olivia. Yeah, that's probably an even better place to start. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Only because sometimes when I'm trying to explain Tame and Olivia, it's like I have to kind of explain what OCD is. So basically, and I know lots of people know what OCD is properly now, which is amazing. Um, But OCD is a really severe anxiety disorder and um, it doesn't, I know lots of people like to use that I'm a bit OCD or, you know, I'm a bit OCD about this. Um, You can't really be a bit OCD. It's a disorder. You know, it's a disorder. It's a bit like saying, you know, you can't be a bit cancer or a bit diabetic. You either have OCD or you don't. You know, you can be particular or a perfectionist or all these other things, but you don't have OCD unless it really impacts on your life. So OCD is focuses on a loop of obsessions and compulsions so an obsession is a worry it's a fear and that can come in terms of 
doubts about things, fears, intrusive thoughts are a massive one. You'll get an intrusive thought of harm coming to someone. Um, yeah, doubts and kind of images that come into your mind. That is the obsession. And they tend to be about keeping you and your loved ones safe. Um, and they, the intrusive thoughts tend to be particularly upsetting, but we can, I'll talk about that again in a minute. And then you have a series of compulsions and that is the behavior that is either physically or mentally used to try and stop that feeling of anxiety. And some of them can appear quite sensible. So if you're worried that you're contaminated with germs, something very topical at the moment, you would wash your hands. That is a normal behavior. Somebody washed their hands endlessly till they went raw, that is OCD. So you can have some apparently, you know, sensical uh, compulsions, but you can also have hidden ones and they are particularly difficult to spot. And that is why people often don't realize they have OCD. So say for example, you had an obsession that, or a really horrible intrusive thought of someone harming your child, or um, I don't know, mine was that I would eventually harm him. Then a compulsion would be instead of hand washing, or I mean, there were physical compulsions like physically standing away in avoidance, but there are also mental compulsions with OCD. So you can, mentally review you as a person you can mentally review the times you've messed up in the past because that is kind of evidence that you might be someone or you might be someone who does this you know and it's horrendous and what the brain does then is because you've compulsed and you've done these compulsions because your fear hasn't taken place you think the compulsions have worked so I might think that checking the baby gate for half an hour every night has stopped my son falling down the stairs when in reality and so I do it more and I do it more and I do it more and I do it more. However, the chances are he wouldn't have fallen down the stairs in the first place. So there is a loop to OCD that gets worse and worse. So with me, um, as a child, I had lots of physical compulsions. I was frightened that harm would come to my family. I used to get obsessive, like kind of intrusive thoughts about my mum being hurt. And I dealt with that with very physical compulsions. So standing at the window, waiting for her to come home from work, you know, being, being nervous and edgy, biting fingers, constantly trying to make myself feel better after I had my son I started to get intrusive thoughts about harm coming to him in terms of so it started off as being quite rational again so it was um I better keep the cat away from the newborn baby just in case there's an accident you know I mean like, I don't believe that cats go around deliberately suffocating babies but I do think that it's a sensible choice not to have a brand new baby around a cat that might accidentally scratch it or get panicky so that again is a sensible thing but what I would do was start obsessively checking that the door was shut that had the cat in the room you know or had these terrible intrusive thoughts lying in bed about the cat getting in and harming the baby and I wouldn't be able to sleep because I'd have to keep checking the door and then it got to the point where um, I would worry that someone else would harm him and so my compulsion then was to kind of avoid avoidance is a massive compulsion for people with OCD um, it would stop me from taking him out you know and the whole time I should point out mums with OCD are really good mothers you know it is like normal maternal instinct just gone wild and the worst thing for me with mine was that um after a while I stopped worrying I think I got so desperate to make sure that he would be safe that I stopped doubting other people and I started doubting me so I started having intrusive thoughts of me harming him 
but and, and that also urges and this is very difficult to talk about but have you ever had that feeling like you know when you're at a um a train station and the train pulls in you get that weird feeling like you're going to jump in front of it or if you're up somewhere high you get the weird urge to jump or chuck someone over so I just had this really weird intrusive thought about harming my child and I should say for anyone listening to this who is a bit freaked out by it studies by world-renowned psychiatrists in perinatal OCD have found that 95% of mothers, at least 95% of mothers, get these thoughts. It's not unusual. It makes sense for the brain to be focused on harm at this time um, because it keeps your baby safe. But obviously OCD took that too far and I started to fear that I would harm him and I did a lot of avoidance. I spent most of my time in my head uh, you know, am I likely to do this? Do you remember that time when you were 15 and you messed up or you bunked off school? Well, that's an indication that you're a really bad person. And so you are likely to do this. You know, so you spend your whole time, people looking at me would have known, wouldn't have known necessarily that I had OCD. It would have taken very clever questioning from a doctor who really understood the condition to um, really, you know, work out my inter- what was going on internally and that loop because it wasn't external. Um, so as part of that, um, I it was grim. It was really grim. It took a long time for me to seek help. Um, when I did finally seek help, my midwife told me that she was going to contact social services. Uh, they spoke about the fact that my child would be put on the at-risk register. Um, and it was a really difficult time. And I know now that back then it was procedure for social services people to if you were about to disclose they had to inform you that they wouldn't be able to keep it quiet that they would need to take things further that's changed now but it was procedure back then so of course as soon as I heard that I was like actually I'm fine I think it's just normal you know mum blues and as a result it wasn't until I hit proper crisis and became incredibly ill that I actually went to a GP and by that point I was like um, you know, I can't have this child near me. I'm, I'm worried I'm going to hurt him. I, I just, he has to go. It wasn't for help. It was to save him. I went to the GP. So that's a really heavy story. But I, I have to tell that to explain how I then went on to kind of deal with absolutely everything because I am well in recovery now and think that I'm actually in a better position now than I ever would have been without it. Not saying I would want to go through it again, but I've learned such a lot, you know, so it's not all negative. And my blog, Tame and Olivia, trying to separate myself from these intrusive thoughts. So the thing with OCD, you might know that what you're doing is ridiculous. You might know that, you know, your compulsion doesn't even remotely relate to the obsession. But if you think that if there's even a 1% chance that behaviour will keep your family safe, you're going to do it. And so that was the thing about OCD. It was almost impossible to separate myself from this idea that I was this monster and that I was just really evil and I shouldn't be left looking after this child you know my self-esteem had plummeted so the whole idea about taming Olivia was to have this character that represented my OCD so a lot of people do suggest kind of giving it a name or a character or something um that didn't work for me because very often it was based on negativity. It was like, look at this horrible bully that keeps following me around. And I started to like an anxiety to actually like a young vulnerable child or a young vulnerable adult. You know, actually it was worried and it was trying to keep me safe and it was frightened and it was a sign of hurt rather than this kind of evil thing that I carried around with me all the time. And so I started imagining almost as a little creature 
um, that lived beside it. And I literally did that for a couple of weeks, found it really helpful. But I loved the idea of the blog. And around the same time, my husband was off work and he's an illustrator. And also it became clear that people weren't really talking about maternal OCD. And so it all kind of came together where I just thought, you know what, I'm going to write this blog about kind of almost the beauty of elements of recovery and that when things go wrong, yeah, they really hurt and they're really horrible, but there's a bright side that's coming along and that it's not you. These mums who are sitting there terrified to go to their doctors with these intrusive thoughts about various things, it's not them. Everyone gets thoughts like that. It's just that OCD makes you take them seriously. You know, we can't handle uncertainty. We have to be, we have to learn how to do it. So it was all about how building up your toolbox for recovery. It was all about um, making sure it was about my recovery, but it also pulled in all the resources that I picked up. So everything about the blog is, I think, leading people to kind of, get their own resources for the recovery but then also just to show compassion because I think when we're dealing with a lot of mental health conditions particularly when we're mothers we are so hard on ourselves there's never a time in a way we're more alone or more judged by society and then to have to deal with that on top of it is horrendous and mothers just weren't able to stop themselves imagining that actually there are monsters you know so it kind of made sense to actually go well you're not the monster these there's just a condition here that's kind of making you feel that way. And it seems to have worked quite nicely for lots of people, which is brilliant. I'm so glad. And my gosh, I mean, you've, you've, there's so much there, but. That Sorry, I do get going. Just do that. Should we have a signal? Shh, Catherine. <laughs> no, I never, I never want to stop anyone once they're, <laughs> once they're on a roll. I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm just looking through my the notes as I was sort of, as you were, you were talking, there's so much that I want to sort of unpick. I mean, um, First, well, maybe one question I had was, why have you called her Olivia? I always loved the name Olivia. And I think if I had a little girl, she would have been Olivia. So I think it kind of helped have that compassionate view because I did used to imagine, you know, like having a little daughter, Olivia. But it was also the O from OCD. I mean, it wasn't even anything amazing. I just wanted it to be a gentle sounding name. Um, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's actually quite, that's, <laughs> that's lovely. Um, <laughs> So, okay, so first of all, sorry that you had to had to suffer through that. Um, but at the same time, as you mentioned, um, you're actually a lot stronger this time. I mean, mm. on, on, I hear it so many times, uh, you know, when we're talking about perinatal um, mental health, you can sort of survive and thrive. And that thriving bit, yes. you know, a lot of people who do suffer from um, postnatal depression or anxieties around that perinatal period feel, that they come out a completely different, stronger individual, which is always so kind of reassuring to hear that if you yes. know, listen to something and you're, you're worried that you are suffering from a, from a mental illness, that actually you can get through it and actually you'll come out even stronger on the other side. Um, yes. So yes, that's a, that's a lovely, lovely way to, to, and really empowering way to think about it, I think. Um, you mentioned that um, you, you had a few, did you have a few um, repetitive actions that you did when you were a teenager, you said, when yes. you were slightly younger, that yes. do you think that that impacted um, or increased the chance of you having perinatal OCD? Or can you get perinatal OCD regardless of whether you have any other mental health issues previously? 
So it became, I did not get a diagnosis. I did a psychology degree and it was during that that I kind of went, oh dear, I think I've got OCD, you know, but it was typical kind of hand washing and all checking. Oh, it used to take me like two hours to go to bed at night because I had this routine that I had to check stuff. It was absolute chaos, which then went and then came back after I had my son. But because it was intrusive thoughts, I didn't realise it was OCD, but that's a whole other story. But um, so I have very clearly always had OCD and any major life event, tends to kick it off I knew when I was approaching my wedding that I had to take extra care of myself you know I would know that if I went on to start a new job I would have to take extra care of myself you do find that some new mums um will have it for the first time ever it's massively triggering having a vulnerable young baby and you would just go completely off the scale of what is just normal re keeping your baby safe um, behavior. So it can, there can be an onset anytime. We find that mums can get it during pregnancy and then not have it after the baby's born, not have it during pregnancy like me, really get it after having the baby's born, onset at two years. So basically whatever combination you can think of, it is possible, but it tends to be called perinatal OCD um, from a few months before birth up until about six months after birth. But there is a lot of support out there for mums after that six month point, you know, so if anyone's listening who is beyond that, they, you know, still go for help. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And now you did mention that all those kind of charities and stuff, which we will definitely yes. link to um, in the, in the kind of show notes. Um, you also mentioned that, you know, and I've never really heard, I've never really, because I've, I've fallen uh, guilty of it myself saying oh I'm so OCD about these things when mm. actually you're absolutely right saying I'm a bit cancer at this or I'm a bit diabetic at that and that is just completely not an okay thing to say how do you feel when you hear people say that do you sort of call them out on it or does it does it bother you does it you know how does it sit with you as a sufferer of OCD it's taken me a while I mean when I first started advocacy there's quite a crew on Twitter who will just you know, be like, read my blog about the time I almost lost my life to OCD. You know, I mean, I mean obviously that's very serious. I shouldn't do it funny words that. But it's the idea that like someone says that and you go boom, smack in with the harshest thing at them. Um, I never found that particularly helpful. I will say, look, I don't think, you know, that's not helpful. But I tend to avoid it now um, because people don't mean it. They don't mean it. And you have to pick your battles. You know, if there's someone, I have to kind of like, assess and you don't always want to be in the position of being a teacher sometimes it's easier to just suck it up and make someone feel uncomfortable so I try to do it through positive advocacy of going this is what OCD is you know and then hopefully people will stop using it but it is just it's a form of describing a behavior you know and very often people don't take kindly to being corrected I mean people don't understand OCD and we have been had in the past where you know you say look what you had with your baby is not OCD, all right? You know, stop being a professional victim, whatever. I have OCD because I clean my car every Sunday afternoon. So people will argue with you because they feel that they know what this condition is, you know? So just challenging it can open up all sorts of wormholes that you don't necessarily always want to go into. So I tend to try and do it very positively, um, but I don't think anyone, if they have been saying it, should feel bad about it. I mean, the majority of people do appreciate that there is a really serious illness there and the silly like kind of adjectives that we use to describe it. I think most people understand that, but it is annoying when I imagine myself, you know, in that, at the hospital in A&E or all that other kind of stuff. And then to hear people using it like that, you just 
shut up shut up you don't know what it really is but yeah. then again you understand because people people use it it's become yeah. part of language I guess and I guess maybe in some weird way that's a positive thing that it's become more into into people's language I don't know I, maybe not maybe. I don't I think maybe sometimes it is and I think when you do challenge people they go I know how bad OCD can be my mum or my friend or my son has it or whatever you know so you just yes but it must have very clear boundaries because you end up rowing with someone who just keeps their kitchen clean it's like no no that's not OCD love <laughs> yeah fair enough so I, I wanted to maybe look into that boundary a little bit at what point do you say okay I just have I just suffer from anxiety to it's gone to this severe level of anxiety where it actually becomes OCD. Is there a sort of turning point? And at what point would you be able to recognize that in yourself? If you think you're, if you think you are maybe borderline or something. That's a brilliant question. So we're not all a little bit OCD and we don't all have tendencies, but we do buy into rules. So we like, uh, superstition don't we a lot of us you know we walk up, won't put an umbrella up in the house we won't walk under a ladder so a lot of us do believe in kind of magical thinking to a certain extent but if you had if you just did little things like to help your football team win or you know you crossed your fingers about things that's very low level you know that's not even OCD that's just something that we do to try and make ourselves feel better as it starts to climb it gets a little bit more difficult and I think your main the main things to be looking for is how distressing you're finding it so there is also another condition called obsessive compulsive personality disorder and that seems to be people who particularly like I don't know that much about it so I shouldn't really comment too much but I know that's a lot to do with people liking perfectionism to the point where it's actually a negative so um, in terms of OCD it needs to cause distress it needs to stress you out it needs to take up a certain amount of time you know I'm not talking two hours three hours but like in your thoughts you know are you missing normal life events or parts of your day because of it you know are you going to bed late every night because you're having to check things how much is it impeding on you and also how how easily do you find it to stop you know if you're checking the cooker and going around and checking the switches is it getting worse Am I now feeling I have to do it twice and now three times? You know, so you need to look at the severity, um, whether it's getting worse, how much it's impacting on your everyday life. And that is a pretty good um, indicator because even if that's not OCD, that's the indicator of going to get help for any mental health condition, really, isn't it? The point where it just becomes distressing. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to actually talk about the getting help bit. Obviously, yeah. what you what happened to you must have been absolutely terrifying to you know, to think Awful. that social services are going to get involved and all this sort of stuff. You said that that's now changed. So what's the what's the sort of what would be your recommendation if people did want to sort of stop right. get help? So I I must say, I know it's changed, but I don't know if it's changed again. So honestly, I do not know what the procedures are with that. If you wanted to know, again, the charities, particularly OCD Action, I think for that maternal OCD would be brilliant. So we need to be a little bit careful here with this conversation, because if you go to someone and you say, um, I'm checking the switches for 20 minutes a night, I should stop using that example. I'm mentally ruminating um, for a lot of the time. And it's about, you know, harm coming to my son. I'm washing these bottles lots. I'm doing this, that and the other. 
yes, they do need to be careful because that might be taking over your care duties to your child, but they will, your, it's a very different thing to saying, I'm spending 15 hours a day having intrusive thoughts about harming my son. So we need to be a little bit careful. And that absolutely does not mean don't go for help. It means just beware. So you absolutely do not have to tell AGP the nature of your intrusive thoughts. You don't have to. You just go into them and you say, listen, I think I've got OCD. I'm having intrusive thoughts and they're really upsetting me. I don't feel comfortable sharing the exact nature of them, but I must go and have therapy. Um, they will, you have to request speaking to an OCD specialist. I wouldn't necessarily, and it, it pains me to say this, I wish you could just walk in and talk to any doctor at all. If you're worried about your doctor, or if you're worried about the actual nature of your thoughts, wait until you're with a specialist. Go in and say, what do you know about intrusive thoughts and OCD? Um, and interview that person to make sure that you're going to get the right support. I mean, I you do hear the odd horror story of people who've had social services misunderstand. Another side of that is that I know lots of people working inside social services who have OCD, who are just changing it from the inside out, which is absolutely brilliant. But in the meantime, you make sure they understand OCD. You do not share the nature of your intrusive thoughts unless you feel very confident in your doctor or you think, um, or until you're in front of someone like an OCD specialist. There are also additional things you can do. So I wrote an article for the British Journal of Midwifery that basically talks about maternal OCD. It talks about intrusive thoughts and urges. And you could take something like that in. I always link to it on my account. So I'll put it on my Instagram account as well. Um, it's always there and you can always take that in and say look I read this article and I can really identify with some of it and that's brilliant as well for if you find it difficult to talk to people or to say it out loud for a lot of us it's very difficult um, the charities again OCD UK, OCD Action, Maternal OCD have resources for you to go and see your doctor so you can go in and basically just hand it to them if you can't if you can't talk about it and that's also brilliant for like getting family support as well so I would absolutely, you have to go and get support. OCD is not something that gets better on its own. There is cognitive behavioral therapy and there is exposure and response prevention. Oh, I should add a lot of boroughs have their own self-referral for therapy. IAPT, Improving Access to Psychological Therapies, that is brilliant. And you could bypass your GP altogether to go and get treatment. But again, ask for someone who understands OCD. Ask for someone who OCD. Um, so I think that's about it. I would absolutely recommend talking to the charities. There is nothing you can tell those people that they have not heard before. You know, they've heard all manner of intrusive thoughts about all manner of people. I'm concentrating a lot on intrusive thoughts because that's the area where people find it really difficult. But obviously, if you're someone who just who has intrusive thoughts about harm coming to their child and washes constantly, it's a little bit easier to go and talk to your GP about that, you know? Yeah, and thank you. Well, again, we'll, we'll definitely link to the charities and also that piece that you wrote um, for, that would be that would be great. Brilliant, thank um, you. You did mention that, um, there are a couple of things you mentioned. So 
One was around family support because these mm-hmm. documents and these 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 readings and findings and stuff can also help you as well as talking to your GP or your doctor about it can also help maybe explain the situation to your family if mm-hmm. they've never really had to deal with that this type of mental issue before. I mean, I have a member of my family who 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 suffers from intrusive thoughts, but there'll be families that have never experienced yes. anything like that before. How were you? you know, you have a partner. How were you with your partner? Did he notice anything? Did, did, how, how comfortable were you opening up to, to him and, and your family as well? Um, Pete is absolutely amazing. That's my husband. And he's the most relaxed man in the whole wide world ever. And I do remember saying he knew that I wasn't well, but then again, we've been together for the biggest part of 20 years. He'd seen it happen quite a bit. So he was keeping an eye. Um, he, he knew I wasn't feeling that great. He, told me to go to, we, we, he encouraged me to go to the doctors too. But there's also quite a lot of fright. You know, when you say, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to hurt our baby. You know, you don't always want to send your loved one off to the GP. You know, you kind of think maybe, you know, let's just, let's just keep it quiet for a while and see how it goes, you know. And but he knew it was anxiety. He knew it was anxiety. And I remember his absolutely brilliant. So I was like, I felt this really horrible feeling like I'm chucking out the window, Pete. I'm, I'm, I'm a really horrible mother. And he was like, just shut up. I had the urge to kick you in the belly once when you were pregnant. And he was like, that's just what happens to people. But again, it's not that other people don't have intrusive thoughts. It's that people don't talk about them. And I talk about them so openly now. And all the mums at the school gate, you know, I've had the most ridiculous conversations with them, like openly. You know, you just think the people walking down the alleyway behind us must be like these ladies oh my God. because once you talk about it everyone talks about it you know so it's I was very very lucky and um, sadly I lost my parents around that time it was a bit of an absolute like kind of boof for me they were both very poorly for quite a long time so in terms of parents I know they would have absolutely supported me but in my case mine had a lot else going on at the time but I think that highlights just how many of the options there are for support out there for you because actually I couldn't turn to my parents really my husband was wonderful but he was also now looking after a newborn with a wife who was losing it more and more daily and actually I found a great deal of my support from the charities from the online community talking to a couple of very very close friends about it you know so even if you do have a family that's not necessarily supportive or able to support you because lots of people have their own things going on there's still lots of options out there but again if you're embarrassed um just hand them something to read show them something you don't have to say it I mean how do you sit down and go um I'm really worried I'm going to hurt your new grandson actually you can't can you so you just sit someone down and you you know not everyone has the relationship where you can talk openly like that yeah yeah but everything's validated now because everything's in writing show them the websites of the charities yeah exactly okay that's really good advice and I'm also sorry that you lost your parents at such a well, thank time you yeah well. there was about two years where it was literally just like boom but that again is another thing you know I am stronger stronger than ever yeah absolutely you know? absolutely um you mentioned that you know you can't just with this with this illness you can't just see how it goes it just doesn't go away it doesn't it's not going to get better does it get worse to the point where it could get quite dangerous you know these intrusive thoughts that you're mm-hmm. having about harming your baby but you know that they're intrusive do they would they ever if it's not dealt with would it ever does it ever get to a point where it sort of manifests itself and actually no no so 
it could become dangerous in terms of I was no longer eating or sleeping and had actually become, I was having suicidal ideations, you know, so it can become, it is a very, very dangerous condition. And some people's compulsions, I won't go into too much detail, but damage the body. And so it can be very, very dangerous. In terms of you actually starting to believe your intrusive thoughts and wanting to do it, OCD will do everything in its power to tell you that you want to. <laughs> and then when you actually get better at handling the thoughts, OCD will go, stop ignoring me and get more and more intense. So they can get more intense. They can have more and more of a negative impact on you. There has never, ever, 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 ever been a recorded case of a mother with OCD or a father with OCD because it affects dads too. Um, never been a case of them harming their child never we need to be a little bit careful with things like postpartum psychosis because sometimes sadly mothers with postpartum psychosis will believe delusions and children get harmed that the mother can get harmed OCD again will do an absolute wonderful job of telling you that you have postpartum psychosis it did that to me because I can learn all I want about OCD and know that I don't pose a risk to my child, but it will grasp onto that and tell me that's what I have. Same with schizophrenia, same with other, other kind of stigmatic and judged mental illness. So it's very important that if you have any worries, see, this is where it's hard because worries is OCD. Talk very openly to your GP, to your physician. Again, there's charities for that. Eve is wonderful, isn't she, from the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership. She'd be a brilliant one for talking to if you think you have um, postpartum psychosis. But what you have to be very, very careful with, very careful with, is that you don't keep looking for reassurance because OCD will keep you doubting. You know, don't go to her and say, do you think I've got postpartum psychosis? And then when she says, oh, I don't know, go and see a doctor, but I don't think so. You know, you can't then keep on. And, you know, because OCD wants you to keep checking. Is that all right? Do you think I did OK there? Do you reckon that might have happened? What was that about? You know, so you have to be, you have to be careful. I suppose that's a very long way of saying OCD absolutely doesn't cause any issues like that. You are utterly safe. In fact, there's a very, very famous um, uh, OCD, like, kind of superstar called Paul Salkovskis. He's a doctor. I think he's in Cambridge now. He's like an OCD specialist. And he said that out of everyone, he would choose the babysitter to be someone with OCD. He's like, he trusts people with OCD implicitly because you were so revolted and so disgusted by this thought of harm coming to a child that you will basically annihilate yourself to make sure it doesn't happen, you know? So no, <laughs> you do not run a risk to your child. But if you think there may be other conditions running alongside, go and get support. Okay, thank you. And God, that quote was, I'll have to dig that out. Um, <laughs> um, I wanted to maybe um, uh, end the conversation around the sort of self-care practices. You said that, you know, you 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 were aware that, you know, when, when there are sort of big life changes that can be a mm -hmm. trigger for you. So around mm -hmm. those times you have to put, you have to take extra care of yourself. What does that care look like for you? Okay, so I think the first point I have to make, because it took me years to learn this, is that it changes. It's flexible. If I'm too rigid with self-care, it just becomes something that is something else I have to do. It becomes negative. When I don't do it, I feel like a failure. So it has to be something that changes depending on, I don't know, the time of the year, how much free time I've got, etc. So 
the very basic stuff is obviously things like exercising, making sure I eat enough, don't exercise enough, <laughs> making sure that I eat well, things like that. I know that impacts on me. I don't always do it, but the intention is there. Um, for me, it's not things like bubble baths. It's things like working back through my therapy notes. It's things like um, making sure I'm doing my exposures regularly. So exposure response prevention, you have to go out and do the thing you're terrified of, but without doing the compulsion. So I will deliberately sometimes bring on thoughts and try to accept them rather than, you know, so mindfulness. Um, it's things like just being very gentle and kind. If the house is a mess, fine. You know, I've got other things that I need to be working on now and making sure that my CBT stuff's there. So trying to recognise black and white thinking if I'm doing it, trying to recognise comparisons. You know, why isn't that mother over there having to do stupid exposures? You know, having to, it's just being slightly more aware of the strategies and the toolkit that I have available to me and exercising those muscles so that they're in tip-top condition when the time comes for me to need them so that that makes sense and that that's um i think would be really helpful to hear just for i guess ev on everyone's degrees of self-care practices is that yeah they, they need yeah to be, they need to be flexible they yes. need to be flexible if anything that's what i've certainly learned in lockdown too is that you just got to sort of i guess kind of go with the flow at us to a certain extent so yeah. um yeah no this was really really those are the really really helpful advice thank you um is there anything else that you wanted to share I don't know any sort of maybe last minute advice for somebody who's listening who thinks they might be suffering with this no I, you know it's always that make sure you you know you just talk to someone but we covered that in great detail I just want to yeah look OCD is it can be horrendous. I mean, it's like your worst nightmare brought to life in front of you, you know, but there is excellent treatment out there, you know, and even if a little bit of it stays, it is still very, very possible to live a brilliant, productive, happy life. You know, I get the odd flare up, but because there's so much good time as the other side of it, it doesn't really hit home, you know, and so I just want anyone to know if they're feeling particularly down about it, that, you know, there are much brighter days ahead. It is like, it's the condition you can deal with it and you just move on from it. And again, if you're worried about talking, I want to reiterate that again, the OCD charities are absolutely wonderful. Talk to them honestly. The stuff that I have spoken to them about in the past, there is nothing you can tell them that they haven't heard before. And you can do it anonymously. Get that support without having to say your name. Do it. Do it. Great. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Um, Catherine, thank you so much. This has been such a Pleasure. such a um insightful and, and interesting and important discussion. So I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, pleasure. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thanks.